Welcome to the White Bikini. Today is Tuesday, November 14th, 2023. Joining me today is my co-host, Nicholas Banton. How are you, Nick? It's great to be with you once again, Marie. Why does your voice sound perfect? It's annoying. Um, I was born this way. So we were kicking around ideals today and we both agreed that we really need to discuss Mayor Sherelle Parker. Woohoo! There you go, girl one. She's the 100th mayor of Philadelphia and sadly the first female, which is embarrassing. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's sometimes when you look at yourself in the mirror and you, you think you're part of this progressive institution, you realize, no, it maybe hasn't been as progressive as we had imagined. I mean, we did have, obviously, African-American men, even in the right. 80s, like Wilson Good. But now it's 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 embarrassing. But here she is. Welcome. Right, right, right. Well, let's hope there won't be a freezer full of cash found in the next couple of years. What does that mean? It's politics. They all play the game. Is that some get seduced by the dark side of the business, oh. if you will. What's happened to you? I know. I know. I've lost. I've lost that. I've lost that twinkle in my eyes. Well, you are approaching sixty, so. I, I thought it was seventy, but. <laughs> Let's just go over, because you know I'm into facts. Sherelle Leslie Parker was born September 10th, 1972. She's. You're getting old. She's close to your age. I. I tell you, almost like I said, I've got one foot in the grave. She's an American politician and the mayor of Philadelphia. She defeated David O. as the Democratic nominee in the 2023 mayoral election. She will be sworn in January 2nd, 2024, and she will be the first woman to hold that position. And I say, woohoo. Yes. Um, let me just say one thing, and I'll say it once, and I will not say it again for the rest of this podcast. In my completely objective opinion, and if Republicans weren't such horrible, scary people that want to take away the most basic rights of men, women, and the transgender community. I honestly believe that that David O had a better resume, but the politics were against him. And that's my final word. I'm not going to say anything because I'm trying to be positive. So you have my answer on that. I have concerns. Right, right. Parker served in the Pennsylvania House of Representatives from 2005 to 2015. She represented the 200th district in Northwest Philadelphia. So she's been kicking around in Philadelphia politics. And again, in September 2022, she resigned from city council and announced her candidacy for mayor of Philadelphia. I feel like there's something a little off. Is it me misreading the situation? Uh, possibly. Could you explain what you mean? There's just an energy I'm concerned about. Go on. Just kind of like what you just said. Okay. But the... <laughs> Parker was born in the Mount Airy neighborhood of Northwest Philadelphia to an unmarried teenage mother. Her mother died when Parker was 11 and she was raised by her grandparents, a disabled Navy veteran and a domestic worker who both grew up in the South. In 1990, as a, at Parkway High School, Parker won a citywide oratorical contest in addition to receiving a cash prize. This is unusual for the 90s and a trip to Senegal and Morocco. Wow, it's pretty, uh, pretty auspicious prizes. Especially in like the 90s, like no one yeah. was doing that. Yeah, I'm surprised, but good for her. She was introduced to then city councilman, council member Marion Tasco, who hired Parker as an intern. Parker graduated from Lincoln University, and I'm glad that she is promoting, you know, or helping, like going to a school that's, you know, African-American based. I think that's yeah. great. Historically black college. 
1994 and briefly worked as a high school English teacher in Pleasantville, New Jersey, before returning to Councilmember Tosco's office in 1995. And then she filled a variety of roles for the next few decades. So she's earned the privilege, at least, of running for mayor. Um, you know, I don't think she'll be any worse than any of the mayors, the long history of mayors that we've had in the city. And I think she does represent a breaking of the glass ceiling. So I think that can we should celebrate that. We should absolutely celebrate that. But there's a but coming. The, the but is, you know, it's another mayor everyone's excited about, and they all seem to get trapped in this quagmire of the system where the lives of individual Philadelphians really don't seem to change. You know, vacant lots, open air drug markets, um, abandoned vehicles, crime, poverty, homelessness. Uh, you know, I, I, I realize that there are larger sort of macro events macroeconomic events, to be more specific, that influence uh, the city's ability to, to take on those tasks. But at the end of the day, I, I feel like they're just bench warmers. You know, the mayors come in, they make promises, and then before too long, they're out. They're at the door. And another mayor comments, comes in with another set of promises. Okay, then I guess we have nothing to talk about. I think we have everything to talk about. I think that's my, my major misgiving about this. It's, I don't have a specific criticism of Mayor Parker. As I gave you my observation about David O, and I think his resume compared to hers, but I'm willing to give her a chance. But my well, expectations have been severely lowered. David O had that weird thing going on with that thief. Like, remember yes, he got beat up? That was strange to me. Well, I, you know what? I, I read a little bit into his background, and apparently, so his brother was attacked and murdered and apparently the, the the family just completely forgave the attacker and not only that they're they're very religious people and so they believe very deeply in forgiveness and rehabilitation i i don't know if that had anything to do with it i mean you know think about the uh, the church in south carolina that was attacked by that white supremacist um, young guy and he murdered what nine ten 12 people in that church and everyone in that church turned around and forgave him. So it's entirely possible that within certain religious traditions, certain personal values, there are people who are like that. But I honestly don't know the details. I, you're right. You're right to be suspicious, but suspicion shouldn't become cynicism without evidence. It's weird and I'm cynical about it. I think for me, as you know, I like to show the West Wing and every once in a while I rewatch episodes and maybe you and I are older and maybe we are more cynical, but I feel like the people that are currently, and not just Mayor Sherelle Parker, they're kind of like people that, they're like our next door neighbors. And I don't know if that's who I want to be running. Oh, you want a more elevated class of- um, not, not class. That's not the right word. Well, I, what I mean by class is as a category. You want people that are a little bit more sophisticated, perhaps more educated, more worldly, um, have a greater vision for the world. Is that a more fair description of what you're looking for? Yeah, but it makes me sound like a snob because it's not a what? female, male. It's not a race. I think I understand what you mean. In the same way that you, when you're going in for surgery, you want your doctor to be your Harvard-educated board certified surgeon that did a residency at you know Stanford University Hospital Johns Hopkins you want you want an elite resume you want 
the doctor that graduated at the top of his or her class to be performing the surgery on you or your loved one. I think we all want that. And I think we all want the same for our leaders. We want the best and the brightest and the most visionary and the most creative and thoughtful leaders. I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I think it is. I, I think I'm from like a bygone, bygone era. I have to be honest to me. And this is stupid, but I put everyone up against Barack Obama. Right. And Barack Obama is an aberration in American politics. Not, yeah, like, and I wouldn't even talk. We haven't even gotten to his race. And he's an aberration in American politics. So I put but back to the point that I made, though. I mean, when you go in for major surgery or even minor surgery, don't you wouldn't it, you feel better to know that your you know, your doctor graduated, yeah. you know, Yale Medicine or Penn Medicine or Harvard Medicine versus the doctor that got out of, you know, I don't know. I don't want to cast don't, aspersions. Don't use any Univers- yeah, I was going to say University of Mississippi School of Medicine or something like that. I mean, for all I know, it's a great school, but I'm just for the sake of argument. Yeah, I guess that's what. And I, as I said, I do like her. I prefer her over David O. But I, I don't like I'm looking at all the past couple mayors. I thought the last mayor, because I won't even use his name, was uh, you know what it was? It's almost like they're kicking around the neighborhoods, and I don't like that. Right. And, well, the last mayor, I think, Mayor Kenny, was, it seems like my my, my man got halfway through his uh, administration and decided that it was time to go on vacation. So He was in Italy during the pandemic with his younger girlfriend, and, and, and I... God, I have to say something. I don't I don't know if she's married. That bothers me. I want married people and I hate marriage, but I want my elected officials to be married. Interesting. That's a very sort of conservative take there. Yeah, I don't like when elected officials are not married. I think they're distracted because at least when you're married, you're bored. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. You know what I mean? Your your attention's not going to dating. I Maybe I know. shouldn't say to, that. To me, to me, I, I think that's a. I, I understand the sentiment. It's or the desire of what your sentiment represents. However, I think in reality, she's married. Mar- My bad. She's married. Married, married, or unmarried. I don't think it makes a difference if you're talking to someone who is a lech. You want to know who she's married to? Tell me. Ben Mullins, a leader in the International Brotherhood of the Electrical Workers. Oh, I think we did discuss this when yeah, we talked about it. Yeah, the last time. My bad. My oh, apologies. No. But but I honestly, Marie, I don't think it matters. I think, um, you know, we used to look at marriage as an indication of someone's character. It's not true. I don't think it's true. I don't think it's true at all. It, all it tells you, it's, you know, it might give you, give you some insight into their tax status. That's about it. But again, back to, you know, when I saw her interviewed right after she won, she's getting started immediately right after Thanksgiving. And the one thing I do like about her is the fact that she's pulling all different people in. She's pulling local neighbors in. She's pulling all races and all backgrounds in because she wants everyone to be represented in the city. And I do appreciate that. And I think her biggest priority is finding the correct police commissioner. Yeah, I think that's going to be critical. I think it's absolutely going to be critical. I think in some ways the Philadelphia police uh, with the pandemic and the riots and the protests, and I draw a distinction between the two, um, and the looting and the marches, I draw a distinction between the two. They need a little bit of refocusing. Um, They need to be redirected. And I think they need new leadership. Uh, I think with the rise of crime in the city, I, I think that, that the whole system just needs 
a reset, like someone just to hit a little bit of a, the reset button and get recommitted to the priorities of what makes a community, what makes community safe and whole. And I think she is committed to that because a couple times I've heard her speak, her focus is the police commissioner. And I, I think for Mayor Kenny and Danielle Outlaw, I think the, I think the pandemic just knocked the wind out of them. Yeah, I think it was a bit much for them and, I, and they didn't survive. I think it was tests of the natural environment and they just didn't, they weren't up to the challenge, they weren't fit enough to survive the change in, in what was taking place in the world. And it's that's just the way these things go. Sometimes what happens is that new leaders emerge, stronger leaders with better ideas, and that's what the city's going to take. I think we are potentially on the verge of a breakthrough and it's it's gonna be hard to see because i think it's gonna be slow it's not gonna be dramatic but a breakthrough in the city where if with the right sort of leadership the right sort of financial and economic incentives i think philadelphians will be able to start reclaiming the city and what i mean by that is the abandoned buildings the empty lots um dilapidated neighborhoods i think with the right leadership the people in the city can take we've talked about this before the way you save a neighborhood is from the inside out, one neighborhood at a time. You make it easier for the next door neighbor to buy abandoned property because the neighbor will be more invested than some guy from New York who just wants to flip it and turn it into Airbnbs. I think the, this those kinds of ideas, you know, like the ones I just cited, will be uh, how Philadelphia reclaims city. It's not going to come from Washington. It's not going to come from outside the the state. It might not even come from Harrisburg. It's going to come from the people who live in the city. And the mayor needs to give the people who live here the tools to save themselves and reclaim their city. And I have to be honest, I think she's going to do her best to do that. It's either sink or swim. And I think for uh, a long time, this, the people who live in the city, they've had their head on the water. And, and I think, too, that, you know, as a nation, I mean, you know, next year it's 2024. It's going to be almost 10 years since Donald Trump was elected president. Where does the time go? And it and we're still litigating it. We're um, still litigating it. It's it's kind of like a bad marriage. It just knocks the wind out of you for a good decade. Yes, it, it takes so much of your it takes so much of your attention and focus away from your other priorities that. You know, you wake up one day and realize that, you know, the rest of your life is a hot mess. So, yeah, I, I agree. I I just, you know, listen, we, my position on Donald Trump is very clear. I think he is uh, responsible. I think he's responsible for the crimes that have been alleged against him. And, you know, in some ways, uh, you know, just to digress for a moment, I have had certain conversations with friends who want him to go away immediately and be treated almost as a martyr. But I think for him just to be exposed to the criminal justice system and be treated as any other defendant and without taking any unique or extraordinary means to prosecute him, I think is the best thing you can do. Because I think what he wants to become, and I think what his supporters want him to become, is to become a martyr to the cause. And I think once we, one way or another, the saga of Donald Trump will end. There will be other demagogues to come along, but we'll deal with them when they do. But for right now, you know, I know that the saga of Donald Trump will end. And I think, as we've seen since his election night lost, I think for the most part, the rest of the country 
the country has rejected him and rejecting rejected his ideas. It's just that he's so loud and he refuses to go away. And, and for me, it's I guess for us, it's kind of like growing up and watching your parents constantly fighting. Yeah, it's, it gets ugly and gets tiring and it can become debilitating emotionally. It, it, it saps you of your motivation. And now I don't know if you've I know that you're not over investing in everything, but I don't know if you heard about David Axelrod. I have not. I, what is he the one that suggests that maybe uh, Biden should not run for the um, yeah. for the, the nomination? He put it on. I'm just going to call it Twitter. I'm not going to get into the whole X nonsense. And I don't know. It's I don't know if he needs to go on and say that. I do think personally that Joe Biden is too old to run. I think we need to move on from that generation with all due respect. Yeah. Uh, he, listen, I, I don't think any honest person can look at Joe Biden and say he's not old. The question is, is he capable? Um, I don't think he does is. does it matter? Okay, because I think those are two separate questions. But there's, there's I, no question that he is very old. He's an old, he's old for his age. Um, but is he capable? By what metric? Because if you look at the economy, you look at the state of the country, you look at foreign relations. I mean, the country is actually in, in a pretty decent place. And I'm not saying it as a Democrat. I'm just looking at the numbers. I'm looking at the raw numbers, the raw metrics. And the United States is doing, the U.S. economy is doing better than the other G7, the other, uh, par, you know, seven other uh, powerful countries in the world. We've recovered from the pandemic better than the other country. Manufacturing is back. I don't um, think we've recovered. I think. I, I mean, recovered compared to what, though? It's it's yeah. all relative. That's my point. It's all relative. Are you yelling at me? I'm not yelling at you. I'm ha I'm offering you a forceful pushback. Uh, but relative to what, though? I think my point of all of this, and we got off track. Right, is we did. I don't think David Axelrod should be putting on Twitter that he thinks Joe Biden is too old to run. It's a bit I, distasteful. It's distasteful. And that's, I, I guess that's kind of what we're talking about. I want to go back to more tasteful behavior. Okay. You know, I think, unfortunately, with, with Trumpism, the era of civility. Yes, that's has, a better word. I, it's over. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's dead. It's on life support because I think, and maybe this is in part there, there are other forces that are play here. I mean, in some ways, this is the last gasp of the older baby boomers. And I think they want to speak and they want to be heard. And so now they're screaming and they're saying, I think all the things that they felt that they could say. But at the end of the day, I mean, people want to have normal lives. Uh, they don't want to live in a world where people scream at each other and talk about, you know, getting into a second civil war and doing crazy stuff like that. So I don't know. I, I, I just think I think in some ways Trumpism is like a, is a bad fever that's just going to burn itself out in this country. I'm not saying that it, the infection is completely gone. But I think we'll recover whether Trump eats his last cheeseburger and his heart gives out or, you know, he gets locked away in some club fed prison, spends the rest of his life eating gourmet, you know, applesauce. It will go away. And his sister just passed away yesterday. Oh, I didn't know that. I think I think he only has one living sibling now. I was about to say a lot of his. Um, so he, you know, with the way that man eats, the level of stress he's under. I can't say that he, he might, he's long for this world. Oh, God. And I'm not calling, I'm not necessarily calling down death on him, but I mean, like Donald Trump, since he came down that, that escalator, his life has been a living hell. Yeah, and I just, I just feel like we just lost like 10 precious years. We did, we did, but. And that's I, very upsetting to me. I think, I think this country needed to 
have its Donald Trump moment. It's that bad, crazy, toxic relationship that you have in your late tweens or early 20s. So that because I think the rest of the developed world, the liberal developed world looks on us like children, like very, very powerful children, but like children in terms of our attitudes and our puritanical beliefs and our squeaky choir boy image. I think all that's gone. I think Trump has completely taken that away from us. He's exposed us for who we really are. Yeah. And and now, you know, what can we say when we find out that the Italian prime minister who is, you know, 84 years old, has a 26 year old mistress? Are we really going to get up on our soapbox and and criticize them? I, I think Trump has given us an insight into what it means to be real and authentic. And, and to a certain extent, he's put us in touch with our dark side. And I'm hoping that we're, it's exposed. Everyone's going to kind of sift through it and then build from there. I can hope I would I would believe so. I would believe so because I think fundamentally the American people are resilient and I don't think we're going to succumb to it. But I think I think to get rid of some of that puritanism is healthy. And I think for me, Sherelle Parker is the first non-baby boomer that's been elected. Yeah, the baton has been passed. And I'm thankful for that. She was born in the 70s. I like her age. It's perfect. She's not going to bring that heaviness of the... How can I say this? I've, we, we've talked about this, and I don't consider myself a baby boomer, but that's another conversation. But she's not bringing that that he, that heavy trauma, those unresolved psychological problems. Not that she's perfect, but I think she's... I think the next generation's a little more aware... And they just kind of have a more, I feel that the baby's boomers born between like 1946 to maybe 1960 were driven 100% from that capitalistic, constantly confrontational personalities. Yeah. And you can see that. You can see the shift in corporate America. The idea of greed for the sake of greed for the sake of greed is being replaced by greed for the sake of greed with a patina of social responsibility. Yes. They were driven, they, you know, a lot of them were, you know, we've talked about this, but they were raised by men that were angry from World War II. They drove into probably the greatest economy that the country will ever see again. We'll right. never go back to that. Not those just days. angry, but traumatized. Traumatized. Mm. So they took that trauma out on their work, on their families, and they're still using that skill set, meaning like Joe Biden, like that, that competitiveness and that those constant bad jokes and and we've talked about this like when men a certain age come into the building they think they should be center stage like they come in they say hello i'm like i don't need to hear your jokes it's it's a very different generation and their behavior shows it and i think that energy shift especially being a woman i'm looking forward to it it's that overt display of dominance and it's cartoonish i think for younger generations not only are they not impressed, but it's it looks silly. It, it's like, um, it, what's it, the Monty Python skit, you know, men wearing funny hats. Yeah, That's what it's kind of looked like. You know, the, the, you have these guys that are peacocking, they're walking, as you said, they walk into a building, walk into a room with sort of these ostentatious display of, um, they perform confidence. Who knows if they're truly confident? And, you know, with the jokes, the back slapping, the, the loud, you know, domineering voice and but for I think for younger people especially for millennials and absolutely um, Gen Zers 
is cartoonishly uh, silly. But the world is changing, and I think those men are making an exit, and I think they're screaming. They're they're absolutely clawing and screaming and kicking as um, they're ushered off the stage. Yeah, and I, I always think it's a graceful person to know when to step off stage. I don't think this the boomers are doing a good job stepping away from the stage. I think they've convinced themselves that they're the masters of the universe, and without them, reality will implode upon itself into nothingness. I, I really, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but I think they, they truly believe that without America operating the way they operated America, that this entire system will implode on itself. And I don't think they realize that they're wrong. Yeah, and 100% agree. That level of aggressiveness, it goes back to Donald Trump's first book, which is seared in my memory, The Art of the Deal. Right, right. So let's tie this in with our newest mayor. You know, with everything that we've sort of gone on this, this sort of uh, discursive conversation about, how does this tie, you know, in terms of this intergenerational struggle uh, in, in addition to the, the, the need for leadership, the need for uh, competency, the need for a certain amount of compassion, the need for economic revitalization? How does this tie in um, with, with all these ideas that we've discussed so far? I think she's a new generation. I think she's going to do good. I think she's being very inclusive. She's going to every little network area, whether you be African-American, Hispanic, even she's talking to, you know, people who are a little more elevated that are a little uh, wealthier. She wants, she's very inclusive. And I like people who surround themselves with different ideals. And I think that previous generation is only comfortable with people that think the same way they do. Right, right. And and, and just to dovetail into that, I think that previous generation thought their their world was defined by meritocracy, but it really wasn't. You know, it, it, it was a boys club, but it was not necessarily a meritocracy. And I think it'll be interesting to see how Cheryl Parker and the new generation of leaders across this country, how they try to avoid the same mistakes of the previous generation. Because then you do get into the unions and all of that. But even the unions, I think, I'm being optimistic here, but I think even the unions are changing. Well, they have to. I mean, they really do have to. And, and you know, Joe Biden, to, to go back to national politics, I think he's been a good brand for the union. He has been unwavering in his support for the unions. And, you know, whether it's, you know, in the, the actors union, the writers union, the auto workers, Joe Biden has been unapologetically supportive of the unions. And I think a certain resurgence of union strength is good because let's face it, that whether you work for a union company or you work for a non-union company, a lot of the benefits that workers in this country enjoy, currently enjoy, were fought for and won by union workers. Some of those men and women got their heads cracked open and shot, you know, a hundred years ago or more to gain these rights. And I, I don't mean to be get up on the soapbox, but I think a healthy balance of union workers in our community, and I don't know what that number is, I have to be honest, makes the system work better for all workers because it raises the floor. And I think their forces in America, baby boomers, um, they you scared want, me. Don't do that ever again. Baby boomers. They want to lower the floor. They absolutely want to lower the floor and and lower the ceiling at the same time. So, you know, you have these opposing forces going in the country. And I think every country has these struggles. 
So I, I think you're right. I think your assessment of Cheryl Parker is spot on. Yeah, sorry, I, I, sorry for talking so much. I think she's. I think her key hire is going to be the right police commissioner. I, as I said, I don't know what happened with Danielle Outlaw. Didn't she have some sort of medical issue why she couldn't actually do the job? Uh, I don't know. I I I think quickly she got in here and it wasn't what she. I I don't know what happened. But I just you know, my I'll close with this. My greatest fear. It's kind of like the Marvel's movie that came out this past weekend, where Hollywood made a concerted effort, uh, concerted effort, to cast an all-female lead and supporting cast, primarily in a major motion picture, and they forgot to write a good script. They forgot to tell a good story. I'm just concerned that as America starts to embrace the idea of female leaders, non-white leaders, I don't need to list every ethnic group out there, that we're also bringing the script. We're bringing good ideas, we're bringing good character, we're bringing creativity, we're bringing energy to the table, that we set ourselves up for success because otherwise there's a backlash coming, you know? Remember, what happened, you know, we don't get Donald Trump without a Barack Obama. And so it's more of a mindfulness than it is a fear that if Cheryl Parker fails, and especially if she brings in, you know, a female police chief, so you essentially have top two leaders, top three leaders in, in the city of Philadelphia being women, especially if it's another woman of color, there will be a backlash. And so I don't want to see that happen because it sets the cause back. It sets the cause of female empowerment, non-white success back when we fail. America is not forgiving when non-white band fail. Amen. We're going to wish her luck. We're going to keep an eye. We're going to revisit. I want to see who she announces as the police commissioner. I think she's doing it after Thanksgiving. And then I'm sure as her, you know, everything will start to really gear up after the holidays. But we're going to revisit this when she announces the police commissioner. That's going to be another podcast because I think we can spend, you know, 40 minutes on that. Right, right. Before we go to the sponsor message, I really felt that we neglected. I, I know it sounds corny, but I really wanted to talk about Matthew Perry. I was so sorry to hear that he passed away. And he seemed like he had salvaged, um, salvaged his life. He pulled it back from... I don't know why I got so upset about his passing. It's it really almost brought me to tears. I not not that he wasn't well, but it seemed like he was back on track and he was so young and I just felt you know it's corny, but he was you know, he was like kind of always in our narrative for the last thirty years. Whether you watched friends or not, they were always there. Right. Well, I think it's one of those things in life that I find myself concerned about and that is the blind side you do everything right you line everything up and you know you're about to you know do whatever it is you're about to do you're about to go on the vacation of a lifetime and you forget your passport or you forget that your passport expired and i think that's kind of what happened to him i think he had salvaged his life he had pulled it back from the claws of drug addiction only to what he 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 drowned in his pool my understanding's correct (laughs) That's the understanding as of right now. Which probably means he had some sort of, I'm guessing, this is purely speculative, I would imagine he had some sort of medical emergency that incapacitated him. I mean, like, with the amount of drugs that he did, he freely admitted that his heart was not in, was not healthy. So I, I would imagine something, at least like uh, Dolores O'Riordan, the uh, lead singer from the Cranberries, I think she similarly um, passed away unexpectedly. I think she actually drowned in her bathtub. So it is sad. It, it is sad. But 
weeks. That's a thing that it's hard to prepare for. It's that blindside event that comes seemingly comes out of nowhere, even when you think you've exercised your demons stows away and then gets you when you least suspect it. And, you know, when you look at him on the start of Friends, he was just such a beautiful boy. Yeah, very handsome guy. He was my favorite character on Friends. I, I didn't, I, the only reason I, I, I felt I enjoyed watching that show was because of him. I thought he had, he brought so much to the table and who knew? I didn't, certainly, watching the, the show that, you know, at the height of his fame, his success, he was, must have been battling the worst demons in the world. I read more about him. Uh, he had a lot going on in the background with his family life. So I, unfortunately, after he passed, I had a better understanding because he did write that biography. He did. He was very honest, very open. <clears throat> and let, you know, he was very open to his struggles. And you know what? I just felt like I had to acknowledge it. He, Chandler Bing forever, may he rest in peace. He was a beautiful boy. Amen. Who's your sponsor, Murray? Springfield Alehouse Delco. Woo-woo. 773 West Sprawl Road, Springfield, Delaware County, which is different than every other county in the world and universe. Yeah. As you know, Nick, your zip code is Delaware County. Yes, that's where the killers live. Go ahead. Cold beer. Don't just stay for a cocktail. Warm friends. Hang out with them. Hot food and grab a bite. Please follow them on Facebook or Instagram. Their phone number is 484 472 6742. And please ask for Kelly White. Woohoo! You know, they really need to start delivering food to us during our podcast. I think they should. I, I think I could go for some of those cheesesteak egg rolls right now. And we need to we right. need to force Kelly to do the delivery. Absolutely. Kelly Kelly's Kelly, are you listening? <laughs> Can you hear me? I, I texted her last week and I forced her to start following us. I'm like, you're not a very good sponsor. And She's guess not- what? She's following us now. Well, I, you did you did the Lord's work. So maybe one day we'll go up there and uh, we'll do a show from the Springfield Ale House. That would be fabulous. We might have guest, Wait, guest Brian, speakers. Wait, Brian, Kelly, yes. Ashley. We, we'll have to get the beat button out for, for Frank. Thank you for joining us today on The White Bikini. Please subscribe to The White Bikini on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite podcast platforms. And also please follow us on Instagram at The White Bikini. I think I am moving mountains with our Instagram page, if I may say so myself. Congratulations. Thank you for joining us and have a great day. Bye. Cause if 